welcome to another C3 Church Rockingham podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au. So I'm here tonight with my two favourite people, uh, Rachel and our unborn son. Rachel is uh, pregnant and uh, we've been on the journey of trying to pick a name for our little boy. And so a couple of weeks ago, um, I got, I sat down with my mum and she pulled out this box of uh, family history documents. And we did our best to make a family tree, trying to find if there was any names that were like common threads through our lineage. And uh, it was just heaps of fun learning about where I came from. And I have a great uncle, Horace, apparently. Horace didn't make the cut with names, but... Uh, you know, one time I heard a preacher say something that, that really brought the Old Testament of the Bible to life for me. He said, the Old Testament is our family history, not our cultural history or our natural history, but because of Jesus, the Bible says we are grafted into Israel's family tree. This, this book, this, this story, this is not just a story, this is our story. Your King David, the, the mighty king, he is actually your brother. Esther, Queen Esther, she is our sister. Abraham is our father. And to make things so much more exciting, all the promises that God made to Israel in the Old Testament are fulfilled in the modern day church. These are our promises. This is our story. So with that in mind, I want to open up the New Testament. <laughs> I want to speak from the Old Testament. Uh, from the book of 1 Samuel, verses 14, uh, sorry, chapter 14, verses 1 to 23. It's an event that takes place in a small town north of Jerusalem called Michmash. Can you say Michmash? Michmash. It's called the Battle of Michmash. And my sermon title tonight is The Prince and the Pomegranate Tree. <laughs> I was so excited uh, last week when I heard Cameron's sermon about going from saving faith to sanctifying faith because God had been speaking to me through this passage that this passage is about what we might call spiritual formation. And uh, if you're new to church and you don't know what that means, what it means is that the way that our faith takes us from who we are to who God has predestined and called us to be. So this faith that we profess, it's not supposed to end at forgiveness of sin. That's just the start. It transforms us. It transforms our thinking, our bodies. It transforms everything we are so that we can do good works for God while here on earth. And so tonight I'm going to unpack this passage of Scripture in three sections. And I know it's going to help you on your faith journey. And I'm going to ask you three separate, simple questions. Are you with me? Awesome. So before we get to 1 Samuel 14, I want to give you a little bit of context. Like most or many families, our spiritual family is dysfunctional. Uh, 
and their dysfunction led them to uh, slavery in Egypt for over 400 years until God decides in good in His goodness and His power to deliver Israel out of Egypt through a man named Moses. Maybe you've heard the story where God works these incredible miracles and through Moses, He parts the sea and the Israelites go out. But it seems like as soon as they come out of Egypt, they forget about the goodness and power of God. And it doesn't take very long before they've made an idol, a golden calf. And instead of worshipping God Yahweh, they're bowing down to this golden statue. But though they are unfaithful to God, God is still faithful to them. He leads them through the wilderness into a land He promised for them to inhabit called Canaan. But instead of driving out the inhabitants of Canaan, the Israelites, they kind of shuffle in alongside, they kind of move in and they start to adopt the same gods and the same disturbing practices that the Canaanite inhabitants were doing. It's a mess. It's, It's not good. It's violence, sex abuse and child sacrifice. Read it, it's in Judges, it's a gas. (laughs) It's a dark time in our family history. And so we pick up in the book of Samuel with Israel in chaos. They're at war with each other. They're at war with this rival nation in Canaan called the Philistines. And so they turn to the prophet Samuel because they think the answer out of this turmoil is that we need a king. And Samuel consults God and God says, no, this is, this is not my idea. But they say, no, we want a king anyway because they have just the right guy for the job. Like imagine we, C3 Rockingham, was an Old Testament nation and we needed someone to lead us in battle against the Philistines. Like who are we going to choose? Cain, right? It's going to be Cain Hayes. Like if you don't know Cain, like CrossFit, Champion of the world, man of God, C3 Rockingham. Like, and we, I don't know about y'all, I'd follow Cain into battle. That's, that's, and so they have a Cain. They, they have a strong leader. His name is Saul. The Bible says Saul was head and shoulders above all the other Israelites. He's the obvious candidate. And Saul starts the kingship full of promise and he has some great victories. But before long, we see Saul's true colours. Turns out he's self-absorbed and arrogant. He disobeys God blatantly. And I pick up the Scripture in 1 Samuel 14 with the Israelite army in pieces. To paint the picture, it's so bad that in the Israelite army, there is now only 600 soldiers, Saul the king and Jonathan the prince. And they are up against an army of over 40,000 Philistines. They are about to be wiped off the face of the earth. And that leads me to the first scene, the pomegranate tree. 1 Samuel 14, 1 to 6. It's a long passage, so for the sake of convenience, I'm going to leapfrog a little. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armour bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father, Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men. Jonathan said to his young armour bearer, come, let's go over to the outposts of those uncircumcised men. 
Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So Saul, the inaugural king of Israel, once full of promise and purpose, has settled for pomegranates. When he should have been unifying his nation and leading them in battle, we see Saul on the brink of annihilation, chilling under the shade of a pomegranate tree. And as I read this Scripture, I'm like, how did it get to this? How did we go from the glory of the, of the exodus from Egypt to the hopelessness now here at Michmash? And the answer is that Israel chose the wrong Lord. In Exodus 20, God said, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. But from Exodus 20, all the way here in 1 Samuel 14, Israel never chose God to be their Lord. And when they were tested, instead of turning to God who brought them out of slavery in Egypt, they turned to some idol or some other God or something that wasn't God to save them. And Saul was no different. See, they thought they needed a king and so they made Saul king, but really what they made was just another idol. Except this idol wasn't made of gold, he was made of power. Israel put their hope in Saul, but his kingship led them to their ruin. And sometimes I think that this tendency runs in our spiritual DNA because how often do we choose the wrong Lord? How often do we let something or someone that's not God take the place of ultimate authority in our life and then we wonder why we're living in oppression? We wonder why things are in ruin. And so the first and most most crucial question I wanna ask you tonight is this, do you have the right Lord? But I love this story because This is where the son steps in. In the story, he is Jonathan, son of Saul, but Jonathan plays the role of the greater son, the son to come, the son of God, that is Jesus Christ. When Jonathan steps out of the comfort of the pomegranate tree to save Israel from the Philistines, Jesus stepped down from the throne in heaven to save the world, you and I, from our sin. Do you have the right Lord, because I found that sin and idols and self, they are terrible rulers. They will lead you down a path of shame and destruction. But Jesus is the ultimate Lord. Jesus alone is the one who kept covenant with God. And Jesus alone has the credentials to lead you down a path of peace and to life. I'm a dentist. Uh, don't hate me, please. It's, it's not that bad. It's, it's fascinating to me. Sometimes a patient will come into my clinic and uh, they're paying me for my time. And uh, I'll do my assessment and I'll offer my advice to them. And only for them to reject my advice and tell me what's best for their teeth. Isn't that strange? 
And of course, I'll respect their opinions, but respectfully, I'm the one with the bachelor's degree. I'm the one, do you see the plaque on the wall? I'm the one who's been fixing teeth for 10 years. Jesus Christ is qualified to be Lord of your life. In Philippians, it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. In Colossians, it says that the whole universe was made through Him and He holds it all together. If Jesus Christ is Lord of this universe, why do we keep Him away as Lord of elements in our life? And I've learned that the degree of freedom that you will experience on this journey of faith will correlate to the amount of authority you give Jesus in your life. And if you find yourself stuck in faith, it may be that you have an issue of Lordship. It may be that Jesus Christ is there, maybe His friend, maybe His spiritual leader, maybe He's even Saviour, but His title, if I read my Bible correctly, is Lord. And the way we know that He is Lord is does He have authority in every area of your life? Or is He, is he Lord here? Is He Lord in relationships and finance and work, but, he, but I still do my own thing in sex and talk and church? Is He partially Lord? And maybe tonight you've come here and, and you find yourself under the proverbial pomegranate tree of life. You've learned that doing life your own way or following the wrong thing leads you into a place of hopelessness, just like 1 Samuel chapter 14. But I've got good news because tonight you have the ability to reappoint or appoint for the first time Jesus is Lord through faith. Romans 10 Verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. How good is that? I've learned that Jesus is a kind ruler. I've learned that He's compassionate. I've learned that He is good. I've learned that He is also mighty and powerful to save and to deliver. I've learned that even when His ways are different to my ways, that He is more qualified to run my life. And I want to encourage you that if you're struggling in this area of Lordship, take it one area at a time. Give Him your finances. Give Him your relationships. Give Him your tongue. Give Him your morning. Give Him your evening. Give him your marriage. He wants everything. First question, do you have the right Lord? So Jonathan uh, charges in to battle against, and this is crazy, 40,000 Philistines. This dude is, is wild. 
And when I think about this scene, I kind of, I'm a Star Wars guy, so I kind of get this, this uh, picture of a Star Wars film. And it's like Jonathan, he like, he runs in, he takes out his lightsaber and he starts carving up Philistines like they're stormtroopers. And it's just, it's just amazing. There's the, the lights and the music. And, but, but remember, this is in Hollywood. This is ancient, bloody hand-to-hand combat. And... Jonathan has received no Holy Spirit empowerment at this point. He's just Jonathan. And he was a good fighter, but let me paint a picture for you. So Jonathan charges and the first Philistine warrior comes to meet him. We call him P1. P1 has a spear and P1 charges and stabs Jonathan. Jonathan evades and off with his head. Blood everywhere. P1 hits the ground. Jonathan is like, Come on, let's do this. P2 comes, he has a sword, but this guy is no match for Jonathan. And Jonathan parries and then bang, slices off his right arm. There's blood everywhere. It's like, how good is the Bible, by the way? Blood, and he's screaming in pain. He hits the floor, and, and John, but Jonathan can't think because P3 is here and P3 is a better fighter. And he gets locked into this duel with Jonathan. They're kind of back and forth and, and, and there's sparks flying. What Jonathan didn't realise though is that P2 was actually left-handed. And while Jonathan is fighting P3, P2 picks up the spear from the decapitated P1 and shoves it through Jonathan's back, out through the heart, promises of God, hope of the world, fulfilment in the modern day church is done over, forget it. That's not what happens. If you were paying attention to the last Scripture, you'd notice that Jonathan was not alone. With him was a young man carrying his armour, which brings me to scene two, the armour bearer. 1 Samuel 14, 7 to 13. Do all that you have in mind, his armour bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armour bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armour bearer followed and killed behind him. So Jonathan and this anonymous helper, they have a system. Jonathan didn't need to kill the Philistines that he was up against. He just needed to knock them to the ground so that his armour bearer would come up behind him and cave in their skull. I'm calling it the stab and crunch. These are our family enemies, by the way, the Philistines. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Jonathan leads the way but he's totally reliant and codependent on his armour bearer. Jonathan did not go into battle alone. He had a helper. And where Jonathan in this passage represents Jesus, the armour bearer represents the Spirit of God. If you read uh, the Gospels, you will learn that Jesus never did anything on His own. Life ministry. He did all of it totally reliant on God's Holy Spirit. And so too should we.
Listen to what Jesus says of the Spirit in John 14, 16, 17. He says, And I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Another translation says, I will send the Helper. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him for He lives within you and will be with you. My second question tonight, wherever you're at on your faith journey is this, do you have the right helper? Because see, even when we have the right Lord, If we don't have the right helper, we can still end up making terrible decisions. Like making amends, like Saul, our king. And if I could submit to you tonight that maybe if you're not seeing growth and fruit and progression in your faith like you want to, maybe it's because you haven't learned yet how to lean on and rely fully on the Holy Spirit. If I had more time, I could share with you examples from my own life, some little and some not so little, where I've made decisions that I knew weren't spirit advised. Decisions that seemed like the right move at the time or seemed like the way to solve a problem or that were reactive, but it always leads us it never works out the way that, that it should. There have been other times where I felt the Spirit talk, especially in, in ministry. We move and we do something. It doesn't seem like the best idea. No one really gets it. But all of a sudden there's this fruit and it's energising and it's invigorating because you know you're on track with God. Listen, there is nothing more exciting than doing life Spirit-led. It is the most amazing thing. It is like a new energy source. And I I was asking God, how can I articulate this point? And He gave me this picture of a rally car. You know, like in in a rally where they're like racing through the bush. I don't know much about it, but I know enough. And there's tight corners and and trees and, and dirt. And there's two people in the car, the driver and the navigator in the passenger seat. The navigator holds the map and he tells the he or she tells the driver what to do next. So the driver can just focus on the next turn, right here, left here, straight here. He doesn't have to worry about the map. That's the navigator's job. This is what life in the spirit is like. When you learn to trust God with the map, when you learn to listen, then you can just focus on the next decision, on the next day, on the next week, on the next month, on the next service, on the next work day, on the next meeting. And you can do life in a way that it will not lead you into burnout. It will not lead you into depletion. It will lead you to life and fruit and productivity. Do you have the right helper? But see, it takes faith to trust the Spirit. Because sometimes what He leads you into seems like a bad idea. Like when Jesus receives the Spirit, the first thing He does is wander off into the desert to eat no food and hang with the devil for 40 days. I would hate to be Jesus' like PR guy. Jesus, that's a, but He was led by the Spirit and it produced something in Him that empowered Him for His ministry. 
Are you doing life every day with the Spirit? Have you invited Him in to every area? Scene three is the earthquake of fear. This is where it gets good. 1 Samuel 14, 14 to 15 says, In that first attack, Jonathan and his armour bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army of God in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Then Saul and all his men assembled, went to the battle, the back. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved on beyond Beth Aven. So Jonathan and the armour bearer, they're stabbing and crunching. They've got the right king, they've got the right helper. And they're seeing some progress. They're working together and they fight their way through and they fight their way through P1, P2, P3, P4, P5. They're full of adrenaline. They're full of God's promise to save. Remember what Jonathan said, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And so they go P6, 7, 8, 9 and 10. And they're a little tired. But still, full of passion and promise, they fight on 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. I find it hard to believe at this point though that neither of them were wounded after killing 15 armed men, tired. It's probably blood getting in the vision a bit and sweat but maybe the armour bearer has dropped his gear and picked up a sword and they're probably getting surrounded at this point. Back to back now. Stab and crunch is kind of gone out the window. But they still believed in God's promises for Israel to take this land of Canaan, to wipe out these Philistines. And so they keep fighting. And 16 and 17 and 18... And 19, and they've done pretty well to kill 19 Philistines. But still there's 39,981 left. And I think at this point, Jonathan is probably wondering, where are you, God? Maybe you're in this place tonight. You've got the right Lord. You've got the right helper. But sometimes if we're honest, a spiritual formation can feel like a godless grind. I want to tell you that for those of us in Jesus, our spiritual family has a spiritual home. And there will come a day when Jesus will rip the sky apart and He will turn suffering into joy. He will turn disease into health. Everything that is wrong and lost will be restored. 
but we are not yet home. We are aliens in this world, but our hope is not here. For those of us in Jesus, we can suffer with hope. My third and final question tonight is this, do you have the right hope? Where is your hope? And I don't know what suffering you're facing tonight, but I do know this, Jesus' timing is exquisite. And He can be trusted with our hope. 1 Peter 1, 3, 7 says, In His great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even so refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Your salvation is secure in Jesus. I wonder why... God didn't send the earthquake at 10. That's a pretty good effort. Surely God could have rocked up then. What about 15? What about 19? When all hope was lost. I'm glad Jonathan didn't give up on 19. I'm glad he kept fighting. I'm glad He kept trusting. I'm glad He kept believing. I'm glad He kept pushing. I'm glad He didn't say, well, we have it a good go, but the promises of God, well, He's just not showing up. He said, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. And He saw one of the greatest miracles in our family history. I wanna invite you to close your eyes tonight and I would just like to repeat those three questions and I know you may find be able to locate yourself somewhere in this story. The first question is, do you have the right Lord? Is Jesus the sovereign authority in your life? Because if He's not, I don't know how that's working out for you. But I know that Jesus is qualified to be our leader. Second question, do you have the right helper? Are you inviting the Spirit into every day, every decision, every moment? Are you relying and codepending on God's Holy Spirit to live life? And thirdly, do you have the right hope? Is your hope here on earth or is it in heaven? Is it where the promise is? It needs to be in our home. This is the end of the podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au or call us on 9524 5055.